Hey everyone, my name is Blue, and welcome to Watched, Played and Watched, the monthly podcast where I go over all the movies, games, and TV shows that I watched, played, and watched over the course of the last month. And this episode covers what I watched in December of 2023. Let's get stuck into it. So I started out the month by watching Shameless Season 11, and overall it was a good season. Uh, It was a fantastic finish to the story, and I was quite impressed with how they included COVID-19 into the story. It was personally a very affecting season for myself, as a major plot point of it was about dementia, and my grandfather has dementia, uh, so I saw him in Frank, and it was very effective. William H. Macy's performance was amazing, and his portrayal of dementia was actually quite heartbreaking, and the final episode was a phenomenal end to the series. It did leave room open for a spin-off if they wanted, but it did feel like a satisfying ending for 11 years of television, which is a very rare thing for a show to get right. Over the course of December, I'd also checked out the Doctor Who specials. So starting out with the Star Beast, I thought that it was a fantastic return to form for Doctor Who. I checked out of Who during the Chibnall era, however I do appreciate the continuation of the show, like acknowledging the Chibnall era and not pretending it doesn't exist. Donna was as great as ever. I got thrown by the line that it had been 15 years since Donna left, as it didn't feel like it had been that long ago. Meep was a great villain that didn't feel gargantuan but had enough stakes to make it interesting. I absolutely loved the new Sonic abilities, but it felt like it was just a giant leap in what it could do with absolutely no explanation, Uh, so hopefully the rest of the show can explain this. A lot of the LGBT stuff in the episode felt a little forced, for example the binary, non-binary thing, and that whole pronoun conversation. I do like its inclusion as a queer person myself, but I feel like it could have been done better. And I love that the first thing that Donna cares about once she's back is that she gave away her money. Now, going over to the second special, Wild Blue Yonder. This was a bare-bones story. Just the Doctor and Donna and a spaceship. But that doesn't mean it was bad, as this kind of setup is where Who thrives. It's a purely character-driven story, brought forth even more so because the villain literally draws its power from their thoughts. So they have to dive deeper into what they're thinking, and it's an amazing time. The villain was also menacing enough to give it stakes, but it's not just end of the world, it's personal and emotional. In my opinion, it's a perfect episode. I also love that they've again mentioned the flux and gone into how that's affecting the Doctor. It was amazing seeing the Doctor admit that he'd missed Donna, but it sucked that he never told the real Donna. Alright, going on to the giggle. Perfection. This is an amazing episode. Neil Patrick Harris's portrayal of the Toymaker is menacing and fun and amazing for what he is. Shooty is an amazing Doctor. From the moment he's on screen, he takes charge and makes that character his own. He feels like a Doctor who knows who he is and his place in the world. I'm personally a fan of the theory that Shooty's Doctor is David Tennant's Doctor after he's done the healing and coming to terms with his trauma, and then when he regenerates, it throws him back in time to the bi-generation, evidenced by the line, we're doing rehab, but the wrong way round. I also loved how they beat the Toymaker, it didn't feel cheap or unearned. Overall, a great return to Who. And finally, the church on Ruby Road. What a first episode for Shooty. This was great. It was a little cringe at parts, but since when has Who ever been a perfect show? Ruby is an interesting character, with a good hook to keep me engaged. Shooty really feels like a new Doctor, one who isn't tied down by grief and trauma. He's free and whimsical, and I can really see myself enjoying this incarnation of the Doctor. With previous Doctors, I've been sceptical in their first episodes, but Shooty knocked it out of the park. I can't wait to see where this goes. I then checked out season one of The Santa Clauses. When I was a kid, my favourite Christmas movies were The Santa Claus movies. 
Now, I know they're not the greatest, but I love them. I've seen them all probably 10 times each, so when I say that this is an amazing continuation of those classics, it's not a little thing. This was a great series. It kept the charm of the originals, but added a bit of a modern feel to it. I absolutely loved the little arc of Mrs. Claus and her identity, and I loved that the kids were weirdos, but their quirks fed into the characters and they felt rounded. My only issue is that it felt really rushed towards the end and didn't really have a satisfying conclusion. I'd also taken a look at the first season of Time from the BBC. I've always liked prison shows, and the more real they feel, the more I enjoy them. And BBC's Time, at least the first season, is a great watch. Uh, Sean Bean plays a great, relatable character, he's empathetic. There's not really much more I'd want to say about it, other than it was enjoyable to watch. And then checked out Squid Game The Challenge, and I can say it was a really good show. I quite enjoy reality TV shows and game shows, so I thought that I would enjoy this. I like the tension and the drama. I did find some of the asides a bit annoying, however, I binged this in one sitting, so if that says anything about the show, I don't know what else to say. Good show, love the ending. Now, over the course of December, I watched the first three episodes of the Percy Jackson and the Olympians show, and holy shit, it is phenomenal. Walker Scobell is just the perfect Percy. The Lightning Thief is one of the only books that I actually read during my adolescence, and I loved it. I was so excited when they announced the movie, and remember being so disappointed by the garbage that it was. But this show... It just takes everything that I loved about this book and really brings it to life on the screen. I love the little changes that they've made too, and seeing them be explained by Rick on his Instagram are just fantastic. These first three episodes are just such a faithful adaptation. It's absolutely worth watching, and I can't wait to see how the rest of the show turns out. Now let's take a look at everything that I played this month. Alan Wake 2 was a wild ride from start to finish. Remedy really took what was special from the first game and American Nightmare and mixed it with the lessons that they learned from Control and created the perfect storm of a video game. I loved every moment. Now, I'm not normally a horror game kind of person, but this game just grabbed me and never let go. The atmosphere is perfect, both in Alan's nightmare realm that is the dark place and Saga's spooky forests and unsettling small town vibes. It's campion parts, which is perfect for the genre. The combat is fun, but not too hard. I played on normal, so the difficulty felt fair. The story was haunting, but moving. And I loved some of the more meta moments, and the horror moments really hit me good. I didn't get a chance to jump into the final chapter, which is the new game plus mode, but I will be digging my teeth into that during January. Inscription was my game of the year when it first came out, and I've been wanting to revisit it, as there isn't any other game out there that matches the same vibe that Act 1 gives me, and I'm a sucker for a good roguelite. So I decided to crack back into Casey's Mod. For those who don't know, Casey's Mod is a mode that unlocks once you've finished the story of Inscription. It's a roguelite version of the Leshy section of the main game, but adds a few extra gameplay modifiers like any other roguelite. I will always come back to this game every now and then, as it's just so much fun. I played around about three to four runs this month, and I never beat it, but I got close a few times. I definitely recommend it to anyone who loved Inscription and hasn't checked out Casey's mod to jump back in and give it a go. Now, after playing Alan Wake 1, Alan Wake American Nightmare and Control in November, and Alan Wake 2 earlier on in December, I wanted to give Quantum Break a go. However, after playing it about twice, I decided to drop it. I might check out a playthrough of it, but the gameplay just wasn't gripping me. The way that they told the story too just seemed a little bit off. 
I understand that it came out after Alan Wake and Alan Wake American Nightmare, but Quantum Break just didn't have the charms that the other game had, at least in my opinion. I liked the idea of the game, but it just didn't feel like a Remedy game, or at least the ones that I've played. However, that might just be because I've played their masterpieces, so going back and playing something that isn't as good just left me feeling pretty empty. Now, let's talk about a game that's all about the atmosphere. I didn't end up finishing this game in December, I finished it on the 3rd of January, but I'm just going to include it here because it was so close to the end of December. Dredge is what I would personally call an atmospheric thriller game, and I love me one of those kinds of games. It's a very simple game at its heart. Go fishing, earn money, and complete quests from the people at the various fishing towns spread across the world. The beauty of this game though is through the atmospheric storytelling. The scary sounds coming from the darkness, the existential dread, some of the Lovecraftian abomination vibes that this game gives all come together for a very enjoyable experience. There are just a few things that I'll always either be watching or playing. So, each month, I'm going to include a section where I talk about the things that overlap from month to month. Hunt Showdown is a game that I will probably play until it dies, and this month is no different. I played a lot of Hunt over the course of December, as a new event had just started. With this event, they brought out a new variant of my favourite gun, the drilling. However, I haven't had a chance to use it yet, as I haven't gotten that far in the event pass to unlock it. Now, I normally play this game with my group of friends, and it's always fun. The way the game uses the Old West to make the guns slightly harder to use, uh, and the body horror nature of the game is just a winning combination. I can't recommend it enough. I also played Divinity Original Sin 2 during December. My group of friends and I are almost done with this game, so I'll give a quick recap of where we're at. We'd completed the first three acts over the course of five months, and in December we'd just hit Act 4. This game is a phenomenal work of art. It really simulates the feel of a tabletop RPG in a video game. I'm playing a Lizard Huntsman Aerotheurge support character. It feels like we're around about one or two sessions away from finishing, and it's such a damn good game. The story is really gripping, and the difficulty got turned right up, adding more complex mechanics to the fights, thus making us all assume the position and take it seriously. I can't wait until we finish it, as we'll be digging into Baldur's Gate 3 next. And to finish out the month, let's take a look at the movies that I watched. So after watching the show, I decided to have a look at the movies. It's been a while since I'd seen them, and I remember hating them a lot, so I wanted to see if they still sucked. And they do. So bad. So let's go into the first one. Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief is just not Percy Jackson. Everything about it is wrong. It honestly feels like they read a Cliff Notes recap of the book, and then went, eh, let's do our own thing. It's just so bad. They're too old, the whole plot is just a fetch quest that isn't interesting. They didn't even do the coolest bits of the book. Garbage movie. Now, Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters is just as bad, if not even worse. They decided to completely fuck it all up. They took the overall plot of the first five books and put it in the second movie. The only good moment from the entire movie is where Luke says, don't walk on my roof. I'm not going to go over just how bad this movie is, so instead I'm going to leave a couple of videos in the description that go over just how bad these movies are and why I hate them so much. I hadn't gotten around to watching Love Actually for a while, as everyone I know around me has always hated the film for some reason, but I can say that if I had seen it any sooner than now, I wouldn't have appreciated the message the film was trying to say. I think I watched it at the perfect time. It's an adorable peek into so many little interconnected love stories. 
And from an editor's perspective, I loved all of the little transitions between the scenes, like the music playing and then in the next scene it's the same music, or having a character from the previous scene show up in the next scene, but not have it about them. Just little connecting bits. I also loved how not all the stories were at the same level, but they were all still about love. It was a great way to show that just because love isn't felt as deeply doesn't mean that it's any less important. Going off of my Doctor Who kick, I wanted to revisit the old biopic An Adventure in Time and Space. It's a great look at the origins of the wonderful series that we've got now. Not much more to say, other than I quite enjoyed it. David Bradley gives a good performance, and I thought it was pretty funny that Sasha Dewan is in this before his stint as the Master. And the scene where the first Doctor looks at Matt Smith's Doctor uh, really gets me every time. I also checked out Leave the World Behind. Unfortunately, I was a little underwhelmed watching this movie. As an avid fan of Mr. Robot, I was excited to see this movie because it was made by Sam Esmail, but I was just left with a bit of an empty feeling as I finished it. Now don't get me wrong, the visuals in this are phenomenal, and that's to be expected from an Esmail project, but that's all the film felt like for me. Just a bunch of flashy visuals, a lot of atmosphere, but not a lot of substance. I wish I liked it more. I completely understand the message of this film about how we're basically already in a collapse and all of the social commentary, but I wish the film was just a bit more engaging. There are a lot of points that were left open, stuff that wasn't explored enough, at least in my opinion. I feel like this will be a divisive film, but that doesn't deter me from what Esmail may do next. I enjoyed it, but just not as much as I would have liked. I also watched The Greatest Beer Run Ever, and it's honestly a good war movie. It started out seeming like it would be a fun, light-hearted romp through Vietnam, Chicky running around, giving his mates beers. And the first portion of the film is that, but I love the slow but steady rug pull that reveals the horrors of war. It was a great look into what war actually is. Chaos. Efron really sells the naive, goodwill dummy. He's adorable, likeable, and all-around pleasant. It was a really fun movie. Now, on a bit of a whim, I decided to check out Trolls 3. I haven't seen the other two Trolls movies, so I went into this completely blind. And I can say it was fun. I'm a bit of a sucker for a jukebox musical, and this was just fun. I love the cast, and the characters were enjoyable to watch. I'm excited to go back to the other two and see if they're just as fun as Trolls 3. I've had a tradition for about three years now, where during Christmas time, I'll go onto Netflix, and the first shitty Christmas movie that I'll see, I watch. And this year, I got Catering Christmas. It was awful, but fun. It's about a caterer who has a competitor in town taking all of her business. The local town bigwig is hosting a gala and the main character really needs to save her business. And the only reason she gets the job is because the bigwig's nephew thought she was cute. The whole movie is about the nephew winning her over. It's the same movie every year and I love it. As soon as I'd finished catering Christmas, Netflix recommended me B&B Mary. So I thought I'd check it out. And it's the exact same shit movie, but even worse now because there's a bad boyfriend who won't come to Christmas Town for a romantic weekend. I was pleasantly surprised though because in this one, the evil partner actually breaks up with the main character. This time we're following a travel blogger who was invited to a struggling B&B and her travel blog will bring business to the B&B away from their evil competitor. But then the travel blogger gets a job interview and she's sent to the competitor. Whatever will she do? There was too many plots in this one, and so it just wasn't as enjoyable as Catering Christmas. 
On one night during the month, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole about Shia LaBeouf and just decided to watch Honey Boy. His autobiographical picture where he plays his abusive father during the time that he was on Ethan Stevens. Initially, I loved it. It felt like Shia was trying to process his trauma through the only way he knows how to express himself, his art. However, after learning about the story behind the movie, it completely recontextualized the entire experience. For those who don't know, Honey Boy, according to Shia a couple years after the movie came out, is a complete work of fiction. According to Shia, his father never hit him and was always supportive and good to him during this period. So essentially, Shia made up a hit piece about his father that he can't really take back, as nobody would really care to look up old interviews about it. Shia made a movie about his abusive father and then later went, oops, so is dad. So while it's well shot and acted and an enjoyable watch, I wouldn't recommend it as it's just a biopic that's telling a complete lie. A recent trend that's been happening in Hollywood is to make a biopic about companies and I'm quite enjoying it. I've previously watched Air, Blackberry and Dumb Money and they were quite enjoyable. So I decided to check out Tetris and I can say it's no different. It is a great way to dramatize the origin of how Tetris came to be the giant it is today. Tetris is one of my favorite games of all time and one of the only ones that I can say I'm pretty decent at. So I was excited to give it a watch. It is a great movie. I love the way that the film was split into the levels and the transitions between the scenes was really fun. If you're looking for a fun movie, then I'd check this out. Then I watched Whiplash. This has been my favorite film for about 10 years now. When I started to seriously think about becoming a filmmaker, I got really into the Oscars. So one year, I decided to look at the best editing category and watch every film on there. And when I watched Whiplash, I can honestly say that my whole view on what film meant changed. This film is so beautiful and masterfully edited. I'm also a drummer and have been for quite some time. And the love and care that Damien Chazelle poured into this film is noticeable. The music is amazing. The atmosphere is gorgeous. J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller's performances are breathtaking. And Simmons deserved the Oscar that he got because Fletcher is just a terrifying villain. I won't say too much more about it, but I would just say if you haven't checked out this movie, please do so, as in my opinion, it is perfect. After watching Whiplash, I realized I'd not seen any of Chazelle's other works, so I decided to check out Babylon. It's messy and feels disjointed. I get the message that he's trying to tell about Hollywood and the business and how there's no winners, but it just felt messy. It does feel like a love letter to cinema, but it just falls flat. However, the montage at the end of the film is really good. I quite enjoyed it. I can say I'm glad I watched it, but I don't think I'd recommend it. And then watch The Adam Project. I first watched this movie when it was initially released and loved it. After watching the Percy Jackson show, I wanted to go back to watch Walker's first thing he ever did. And holy shit, I forgot how fun this movie was. It feels both like a Ryan Reynolds movie, but with a younger version of himself, and weirdly, a suddenly 30 reunion. Walker's performance in this movie was phenomenal, and it's unbelievable that this was his first performance ever. The chemistry that the whole cast has is great. They really do feel like a family, and I'm a sucker for a good Sean Levy movie, and this movie absolutely hits the mark. And rounding out the month, I watched Saltburn. What the fuck was this movie? Without going into too much detail, I didn't know what to expect. I was going off a couple things going into this film. Firstly, I was a fan of Emerald Fennel's previous movie, Promising Young Woman, so I was excited to see what she did next. And secondly, I'd seen all of the videos on TikTok of people reacting to those scenes from this movie. Now, the movie was fun, I enjoyed it, but a couple things just 
didn't sit right with me. Firstly, why was the film in 4x3? I don't feel like it added anything to the movie at all. I understand that stylistically it might be harkening back to the 90s, but if the movie was in 16x9 it wouldn't have made a difference. And as for those TikTok scenes that everybody was reacting to, I can't believe they were getting such big reactions. They were super tame compared to other things that I've seen. Overall, the movie was enjoyable, but I don't think I'd watch it again. And that's everything that I watched, played and watched over the course of December. I do apologise for getting this episode out so late. I had a couple hiccups in the writing process that delayed me from being able to get this out sooner. Hopefully January's episode will come out a little bit earlier. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a fantastic month and I'll see you all back here for another episode.